Welcome to the CYA Podcast. CYA is the College and Young Adults Ministry of Crossroads Church. We hope that this week's message can encourage you and inspire you to live a Christ-centered life. Welcome to CYA. I'm so glad that you're with us. I hope that you guys caught on to that. Every single one of us was meant to live our lives on purpose. Uh, And if you're brand new to this whole church thing, I want you to know that I am so glad you're with us. I hope you know that God does have a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And out of all days, Valentine's Day, you guys chose to be with us. Now, you could have been anywhere and you chose to be at church. So welcome to our college young adults ministry. Uh, So glad you're here. Uh, I, uh, I, it was a normal day. Uh, just like this one, we, I was delivering a message, and many people were responding, meaning they, they really wanted to make changes in their lives, and they were responding to a gospel message and giving their lives to Jesus. And there was one guy who walks up to me, and I see that he's kind of broken and uh, really trying to navigate through what his next steps are, and he comes up to me and says, I am done living a life that's not full of meaning or purpose, and He puts something in my hand, and I look in my hand, and I said, oh, shoot. (laughs) Literally, there was a gun in my hand, and I'm like, okay, well, my fingerprints are all over this thing, and um, I do have a pass. No, um, and uh, I, I didn't know what to do with it, and I'm like, well, praise God. He's giving his life to Jesus, and I'm sorry for all the police officers in here. I didn't know what to do, so I uh, got rid of the evidence, and I destroyed it because my fingerprints were all over it, um, but uh, here's, here's the thing. I, I really didn't know how to respond, but respond with gratitude that someone was literally leaving a life that didn't have purpose, but here's where I'm going with this. Isn't it true that oftentimes uh, in the church, maybe, maybe we've, um, we've categorized people. We often don't know uh, what to do. For, for example, like you, you're in here and you're, you're new to this whole church thing, and, and in your mind, you're like, okay, there's this us versus them mentality. Like you got the saints and the sinners, and we really don't know what to do with it. Maybe you've been doing the church thing for a while. And I see this in our context a lot. Uh, we're hanging out with groups of friends, right? And you're, you're, you guys are all together. And uh, you're sharing about uh, some of the goals that you have and where you're headed. And uh, people start opening up like, man, I'm having a hard time. Homework's overwhelming. Work is overwhelming. And then you have that guy or that girl that opens up. They're like, man, I'm watching porn every single day. And you're like, we're not supposed to talk about that out loud, you know, and we don't, we don't know what to do with certain conversations because uh, this person's being probably more real than a lot of people, yet we don't know how to respond, right, or, or that person that we're around that cusses up a storm, they're cussing all the time, you're in the church world, and then they're dropping F-bombs here and there, and you're like, oh. and we get awkward, and we really don't know how to act normal around these people uh, that... Um, that are, might, might have a little bit of residue on them or might not think the way that we think or might not be exactly where we're at. And, and we have this divide, saints versus sinners. Or how about this one? We tend to categorize our struggles, right? Uh, this person has bigger sins than I do. Therefore, it puts me in a different category because my sins aren't all that bad. Uh, theirs are worse than mine. He's a killer, murderer, whatever. And I'm over here uh, coveting and they're different than me and we, we have categories 
Uh, maybe, maybe that's why some of you guys, you come to church and uh, you haven't really made a decision to follow Jesus because you're like, well, I don't know that I could be that perfect or that holy, or I don't know if I could live up to this standards. Why? Because in our minds, there's, there's, there's categories, right? This guy uh, came to the end of himself and he realized that he didn't care about categories, that he needed Jesus, you know, and, 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 um, and he responded, yeah, we can clap. That's okay. A responsive church, I believe that uh, the word of God's exciting and life change is exciting. Uh, but, but here's the thing. I want us to go somewhere because I'm, I'm headed somewhere with the story. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, we're going to pick up on a story. But I want you to know something that uh, Jesus, from the very beginning of time, when he began to teach his disciples, he was really challenging their way of thinking. Why? Because they categorized people. They had the saints and the sinners. They had those that were holy and not holy, and therefore they were in a different category, and they almost were prideful about it. Why? Because God favored them and not everyone else. And there was this um, um, goody-two-shoe mentality, if you will, and they thought they were too cool for school, and Jesus always, always went after their minds because they had a skewed perspective on what it meant to follow Jesus. They had a skewed perspective on what it meant to be right with God. And oftentimes their traditions outweighed God's commandments. Their tradition would have them draw a line in the sand and they would literally devalue people over their tradition. And God was about to blow their tradition out of the water. Uh, and he, Jesus, had one agenda. He wanted people to know that with God there weren't any categories. That every single person was saved by grace, meaning that God reached into this world to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. That was his message. It was a compelling message. But the thing was that they still didn't get it. They, it, it still, uh, uh, they still had in their minds, there were still these categories of people. And in uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, Jesus, for the very first time, if, uh, if you've been around the church world, he really was ministering to those that were Jews, and, uh, and he stayed in, uh, in the areas where there was a lot of, and I want you guys to wrestle with something, because every time Jesus was on the scene, he was not rejecting the sinners and, and those that um, were far from God. You know who he was rejecting? He was rejecting the religious people that would allow their law and their religion to get in the way of loving people. And he said, you guys are like doing this and you don't know anything about me or what God's like because you're all about these rules and regulations. And in Matthew chapter 15, there's a mind-blowing story because Jesus, for the very first time, stepped out of the norm, okay? He was used to doing this. He goes on this little road trip with his disciples. They go into this area known as Tyre and Sidon. And the thing about this area was that this was a, like, a place that you just don't go to. I want you to think about one of the places, maybe I could talk to you ladies uh, that are up in the front, or maybe some of you guys might be able to relate to this too, but just, uh, isn't it true that there are some places that you just don't go to at night? Sixth Street, oh yeah, there you go, uh, right? Think about this, it's midnight and uh, Sixth Street's kind of sketchy. If you're from Corona, you know what I'm talking about. You just don't, you just don't go, it's not wise to go there. And if you were to go there, uh, you would probably be walking on edge. And you'd be looking over your shoulder like, is this safe? I can't go to the bank right now, right? There's just, you just don't go there. So Jesus takes his disciples on this road trip, and they enter into the city where I think the disciples were like, 
whoa, you, you, why are we going there? This area was known to be full of Gentiles, meaning they were non-Jews. For the Jews, the religious peoples of their days, that you wouldn't even set foot in a territory that didn't have non-believers in it. That's a no-no. Why? Because we stick with our own. We want to keep ourselves clean. And, and Jesus, he, he goes into this little retreat because he had been attracting a lot of people. A lot of people were responding. So many people were attracted to Jesus because of the way he loved them and showed them value. And he had to pull away because everywhere they were, they were, they were drawing near to him. And he enters into this area. And we don't know how long he was there. But after a while, there's this woman uh, known as a Syrophoenician woman or a Canaanite woman. She was a Gentile woman that wasn't a Jew. Uh, for a Jewish rabbi to even interact with a woman was a big no-no. You just couldn't do that in that culture, but she approaches him. And this area where people would, were known to be the lowest of the low. People didn't have value. This lady approaches Jesus, and she cries out to him, says, Lord, please help me. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 15 in that context. Uh, I'd like to really ask the Lord uh, to be with us. I'm going to go to a time of prayer, meaning that we're going to talk to the Lord together. I hope that you see that everything we do points back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that gives us life, and we're going to draw near to him because I know uh, that many of us need to hear a word tonight, including myself. So, um, Father, we praise you and I thank you uh, for your word. I pray that tonight, Jesus, you would wreck our world. Father, that we would truly remove any preconceived notions about who we think you are. I pray that we would not label people of uh, saints or sinners, that we would see that we all desperately need you, and that we would show ultimate worth to the people around us. I pray, God, for those that don't feel uh, like they have worth, that tonight, God, they would catch a glimpse of your heart and that they would know that they have ultimate worth. I pray, God, for those that love you and know you, I, I pray that all of us, Lord, would just be able to uh, just get a better understanding of who you are and who we are in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Matthew 15, uh, verse 21, let's pick up the story. It says, Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from, the region, uh, from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. She's at the end of a rope, her daughter's struggling, but what intrigues me from this passage right here is that this woman, this Gentile woman who has no affiliation with the Jews, she calls him son of David. Now, some of us would say, oh, yeah, that's cool, different name for Jesus. What does that even mean? It gives us an understanding that she had a, a, she had a good idea of who was standing right in front of her. Because son of David will always refer to the Messiah, the awaited one, the savior of the world. And she probably had a better understanding of who he was than the people that were around him. That his disciples that were walking side by side with him because they still don't get it. And I love Jesus because every single time we read the scriptures, we know that he was trying to uh, make a difference in people's lives all while at the same time teaching his disciples. He always used stuff to teach his disciples that their way of thinking wasn't accurate. 
that they needed to get rid of their religious mindsets and, and understand that he ultimately valued people. And for those that were following him, his early disciples, they, they thought he was a cool dude. I mean, come on, he multiplied food. He resurrected the dead. This guy's cool, man. We're going with him. We're about to take over this Roman Empire. He's going to uh, rule with an iron fist, and it's going to be our opportunity to make a name for ourselves. It's going to be our opportunity to be able to be famous. And this woman approaches him, and uh, the disciples are kind of on edge. They don't know what to do because you don't talk to that type of person. You just don't go there. Why? Because they were holy and she wasn't. And they might get contaminated. It might affect their reputation. I'm not going to be seen with her. I, the last thing I want to do is be seen with someone like that. And in her eyes, Jesus doesn't need to waste his time because she's a lost cause. And you're going to see in the text that later they try to shoo her away. But she comes out in desperation and cries out to Jesus. My daughter is sick and is about to die. And what breaks my heart is that the disciples don't care. They don't even notice her. Why? Because she has no ultimate worth. She's not one of them. Look at where the story picks up, verse 23. And it's kind of crazy what Jesus does because this isn't his approach. It's not his approach with us. But look what it says. He did not answer her a word. Jesus, help me. Silence. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away, because she's shouting at us. Come on, she's, she's bothering us. It's an inconvenience. Come on, we got a world to change. You're about to take on this Roman Empire. Go, shoot her away. The disciples don't care about her. And um, I don't know that uh, Jesus was actually trying to reject her. I think he was trying to teach a lesson here. I think he was trying to showcase something to the disciples. And I think he delayed for a reason. Look at what it says in verse 24. But he answered and said, I don't know. Okay, if you look at this text face value, it seems like he's talking to her. The text doesn't really tell us. Uh, but I, I think he was really trying to talk to the disciples because he says, he says, uh, he answered uh, and said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let me, let me pause right there. He meant to Israel, okay? God's people, the holy ones, the ones that were holy and they were better than the world, right? I, I was only sent to the house of Israel. The disciples were like, uh-huh, that's right. We're the special ones. We're about to rule, right? And he expresses that to teach them a lesson. And I think Jesus kind of had a way of, uh, of really challenging his early followers because he would do some way out things, some crazy things. that They were like, why is he, what? All the religious leaders, man, they don't do any of that. He would give honor to women and, 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 and receive children. And, and, and at this point, he had already spent an entire day with this one woman, a Samaritan woman, and they were probably scratching their head like, what are we doing here? And, and, and they're thinking to themselves, what do you mean you only came for the house of Israel? We just spent a whole day with this woman. You went out of your way and a whole city came to know you. Then there's another story uh, of a Roman centurion servant 
who uh, the Roman centurions, they ruled Israel with an iron fist. And he heals their servant? What do you mean you were only sent to the house of Israel? Verse 25, she came and began to bow down before him and says, Lord, help me. She wasn't discouraged. I want you to think about something. When she first approached Jesus, she had this formula. Son of David, have mercy on me. How many of us have ever come to God with a formula? I've, I've read my quiet time. I've done all this. Do you see me, Jesus? Come on, man. I'm still single. It's Valentine's Day. Where's she at? Where he at? And we try to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. But she leaves her formula aside and goes a different route. She came in brokenness and openness, hoping that Jesus would show her compassion. Why? Because worship works where the formula ends. I'm just saying, there's no formula. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. She had to come to the end of herself. Church, have you ever been there? Because that's when the Holy Spirit's like, there you go. Yeah, you've tried it on your own. You're relationally bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Now I can work with you because I'm in the business of resurrecting people and giving them purpose giving the meaning. Look at what it keeps going on to say. Verse 26 says, and he answered and said, this is kind of like cold-hearted, it seems like. It says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The children, those were the children of Israel. I came for them. I can't take their bread and give it to dogs. This is a backhanded compliment. Think about that. If, that, if I were this woman, I'd be like, What? Now, let me give you some context, because Jesus was strategic. In their context, anyone that wasn't a Jew was considered a dog, a street dog. Uh, the Pharisees would stand up. They would pray, Father and women, no offense, but that was their, and, and, and I'll give you some context in a little bit about this, but they would wake up and say, Father, I thank you that you did not make me a woman. I, because in their society, women were less than. They had no value or worth or voice. And I don't think that was a biblical thing. I think that's a cultural thing. Why? Because isn't it true it was right around the 1900s, 1800s that women actually started to get their rights in society? And um, he ignores her. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't give, I can't give my bread to you guys. Why? Because you have no worth. Or did she? Or was he really being a jerk? Because first he ignores her. Then he says, I wasn't sent for your kind. He calls her a dog? I don't know about you, but that's kind of crazy. And this woman comes to him. And she knows that the disciples don't think that she's worth Jesus' time. But here's what's going on here. Jesus was giving them a picture of what they believed in their heart. Why? Because what they believed in their heart was so wrong and so out of what he was about. And uh, in verse 27, she says, but she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs 
feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. In other words, that didn't even shake her. She, she saw herself in the picture. You got this table that's set and everyone's around the table and uh, the people of Israel, God's people, right? I mean, this could relate to the church. Let's just say we're all around the table and we're having fun and we're valuing each other. We're loving one another. And then there's this Gentile woman who sees herself as this. Jordan, go ahead and bring my, uh, my mascot up here. So she's sitting there. Come on, come on. And in the original language... Um, Jesus doesn't use the word for street dog. He uses this little itty-bitty dog. We have little dogs, and I love our dogs. This is a full-grown Dotson. Um, uh, my wife and I, uh, whenever we're at home, I'll pick them up so that you guys can all see them. Um, um, we call them our vacuum cleaners because uh, we, we have a two-year-old, and uh, she likes to get cray-cray when she eats her food, right? When she's eating dinner, it gets all over the place, and I got tired of picking it up. I said, hey, go get the vacuum cleaners. We'll let the dogs in. I have three of them. And they would come and eat all of the little crumbs. Uh, in today's society, you guys would call PETA if we ever mistreated a dog like this, right? Uh, because we value dogs, we value pets. And in this wordplay that, that Jesus is giving us, he's referring to a, a household pet. And she's like, yeah, I know. But you know what? I'm not trying to take Israel's blessing. I just want a little bit of that blessing to pour over to me. So I could get the crumbs. Why? Because a little bit of Jesus is enough for me, and that's what I need in my life. That's what she was trying to say. And um, look at the way Jesus responds to her. And Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. The disciples were like, what? I've never heard you say that to me once. That my faith is great. I've been walking with you this whole time. But you don't see my faith? It shall be done for you as you wish. Your, and her daughter was healed at once. Uh, Mark chapter 7, yeah, that's what Jesus does. Uh, Mark, Mark chapter 7 tells us that she went home and the demon was immediately gone from her daughter. Because Jesus responds to faith. And Jesus was trying to teach the disciples a lesson. You could, you could take my pooch. Um, let's give it up for Max. Um, <laughs> um, Jesus was so strategic in teaching his disciples without hurting the individual. This whole time, we, I mean, it's a difficult, difficult passage, but it seems like he's trying to uh, mistreat her, and he wasn't. He was trying to teach them a lesson. There are so many things that you and I could learn from this story, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp out on three. Three values or non-negotiables that need to be true in our own lives that comes straight from this passage. And I hope that it's a matter of conviction for us that we would realize that in Jesus' book, there aren't any categories uh, because Jesus values people passionately. You know your difficult coworker that you can't get along with? He loves them too. And they need him too. You know that those that um, their sins might be a little bit more obvious than our own? Guess what? He loves them too. And God calls us to love, not to judge. You know, so point number one, what can we learn from this story? Jesus was against graceless religion. Religion that ignores, ignores the needs of people. Why? Because every person matters to God. 
Church, you and I need to get this right. Why? Because when religion comes first, it trumps mercy and grace. And it elevates itself above people's lives. And that's it. that wasn't what Jesus was about. Because from their perspective, Jesus did not have time for this one person. Because come on, we have our songs to sing, ministries to serve in, places to go. We're changing the world. We're too busy to invest in one person. They're... It's an inconvenience. I got all these things to do. When we forget, if you're in the church world, that ministry is about serving other people. And everything we do is to create environments for people to know Jesus. The ultimate source of our life, of our healing, of our restoration, of of everyone's life, they they need to know that, that this Jesus that we serve could give them a second chance and rock their world. But in their minds, nope, this woman wasn't worth their time. Have you ever been there, church? I got papers to write, school to go to, careers to attend to. I don't have time, pastor, to invest in people outside of me. That's what we're saying. Because I'm more important than the needs of other people. Jesus saved me. I'm saved by grace. And what Jesus is telling us, no, we need to have time for other people. This was 10 days before Jesus went to the cross. Surely what you and I have going on isn't more important than what Jesus had going on. I mean, come on, he was about to save the world. He was about to take the sin of the entire world upon his shoulder. And he illustrates this over and over and over that he was about the individual, that he was about the people around him. He would slow down and be with children. He tells us stories like, like this, that, that a shepherd would be with his 99 sheep and he would leave the 99. Uh, there were 100 at one point and he saw there was one missing. He would leave them behind to go after the one. Now, in people's opinion, that wasn't the best use of his time. Wouldn't you invest in the 99? No, the one was more important to Jesus than the 99. Because they were already saved. And that one person was away from him. And then there's another story of this woman that loses a coin. Ladies, this is like you waiting your entire life for the guy to propose to you. And you get your ring, and that next day you lose it. You're going to move everything in your house to try to find that thing. If it falls down the sink, you better believe you're taking that sink apart, right? He uses this illustration, this woman loses a coin and she sweeps her house to look for the one coin. And he says, in the same way, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner comes to repentance. And if that wasn't enough, he talks about his own and he uses this story to illustrate it. The story of the prodigal son, you got two kids, grew up in the church, one of them goes astray, pretty much tells his dad, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance, takes off, wasted on prostitutes, partying, he's living everything, he's living the life in his eyes, right? He gets to the lowest point in his life and he's eating pig's food and he needs to come back to the father. The other kid has always been the good kid. He earned his worth. He did everything right. But when the one kid comes home, the father runs after him with this emotion and draws him to himself. And then this guy gets bitter because the father cared about the wayward son. And Jesus cares about those that are wayward. 
those that are lost, those that are hurting. And he teaches us this principle. Why? Because his intentionality was amazing. He would stop to be present with people. Some of us might think that what we have going on is important. I get it. It probably is. But not at the sacrifice of other people. If anyone's busy, I get it. But we need to be present. Why? Because you and I, you're going to see this in a moment, you and I, we're the plan to save the world. That is humbling and daunting. But like I shared last week, unfortunately, culture knows more about what we're against, not what we're for. And wouldn't you agree, church, that we're for people? And we need to get this right. Amen? And if Jesus had time to be with individuals, don't you think we should too? This leads me to my second point. Jesus had time for individuals. He's with this woman. Now, in Jewish culture, there was a, a rabbinical saying, uh, rabbi, let's just say the pastors of their, of their day, so you have an understanding of what I'm talking about. Uh, it was a no-no to talk to them, right? They would say these words. He who talks to womankind brings evil upon himself, neglects the study of the law because they thought that salvation was through the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna. In other words, they're liable to go to hell. That was their mindset. But Jesus is breaking every single Jewish taboo that he can possibly think of because they elevated themselves above people. And Jesus never, hear me out, church, never allowed his theology to get in the way of him loving people. People would walk up to him and say, what does the law say about divorce? Don't divorce. Come here, let me give you a hug. He was straight up. He was full of grace and full of truth. He wouldn't shrink back from truth. He wouldn't shrink back from conviction, but that truth wouldn't let him, wouldn't keep him from loving people. You know, maybe some of you guys are in here and you've got that taste in your mouth where uh, people allowed their theology to trump your worth or your value because you made a mistake and therefore that determined your worth based on someone else's opinion, not in God's opinion, but someone else's opinion. And Jesus was always about people. And in some people's eyes, they would have looked at Jesus and they would have saw this as a weakness. And others would have seen this as scandalous. But Jesus, from the very beginning, he said these words, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Old Testament term, New Testament term, that his house would be for all people, for everyone, that everyone would have access to the presence of God through the church. Didn't matter your religious stance. Didn't matter anything that people would be able to come here and know what God's all about, that he could give them a second chance, that he could restore them. His house shall be called a house of prayer. For who? For all people. All nations, all ethnicities, regardless of where you find yourself, that people would be able to access him. And Jesus wants people to know that worship should never happen at the expense of the individual. I have a friend that I grew up with, and um, I've uh, known her since we were like in elementary school, junior high. And uh, later, when she was like in high school, she came out and um, just told me she was gay, you know. And uh, growing up, she never 
It never really came across my mind that she was. Uh, she dated guys, but at some point, she made the decision to date women. And uh, fast forward, I came to know the Lord later, and she would still come around, and she was still a friend, and, um, and she came to church a few times, uh, but she told me these words, and it, it resonated with me because uh, I think this is where the church has a black eye. She goes, this is different. Every single friend that I ever had that became a Christian literally told me these words, I can no longer hang out with you because of the lifestyle that you're living. And I'm like, what? And nothing could be further from the truth. God's called me to value people regardless if I disagree with them or not. I'm just saying. And culture says we're against homosexuality. We're not against people. And uh, my friend has a skewed view of what the church is supposed to be all about. Now, we want to be clear about our convictions, but that shouldn't get in the way of us loving people and valuing people. We can't put, in other words, I can't put my convictions on someone else. I got to love them passionately. Isn't that true, church? That's what Jesus did. And here's where I'm going with this. Um, I think sometimes we fall into this mindset. We launch this One Life campaign, and I'm hoping that you guys are taking it serious, that you're really praying and asking for God to bring people that don't know the Lord into your lives, where you get to show them ultimate worth, regardless if they give their life to Christ or not. Uh, we're uh, going to shove the gospel down people's throat uh, uh, this way by, by loving them. Why? Because we know and understand that God could tr- turn their life around. We know that we have uh, the message that could change their life forever. Ultimately, our goal is going to be to present Jesus to them when the need uh, arises. But here's where I'm going with this. Our goal is not to grow the church. That's Jesus' job. This isn't an agenda to to fill this place with people. This is an agenda to get people closer to God. This is an agenda that, uh, that people would draw near to him because Jesus is the hope of the world and could transform their hurt into uh, their pain into hope. He could transform their lives forever, and we need to under, amen, we could clap for that. Um, and sometimes, and if you're, if you're brand new to all this, I hope that you never feel like a project. We're trying to create environments for you to come and really ask your questions and meet the Jesus that we know to be true, that, that is compassionate and loving, and, and that he would ultimately change your life. And I hope that that's, that's the only agenda that you ever see. But for the rest of us, I love that we get to come together. I love that we get to worship Jesus. But this world needs to know what we're for, not what we're against. And we need, we need to show people ultimate value. I believe that this is what made the early church so powerful and so attractive because people actually liked each other. They actually got along. They weren't um, full of opinions. They just loved Jesus. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 2 verse, verse 43. This is a moment where the church was first launched. There wasn't a church before this time, okay? 120 people were in an upper room. They were praying. They were waiting on God. I don't know that they knew what they were waiting for. Jesus said, wait, I'm going to send you a promise. Okay, what are we waiting for? I don't know, just wait. He promised them the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, If you're brand new to this, God's promised his spirit, his very essence to come live inside of us when we respond in faith. And then something happened. The church was born for the very first time and people were passionately in love with Jesus more than they ever had been. And they changed their known world. They turned their known world upside down. And in one sermon, 3,000 people came to faith. And look at the response. It says in, in Acts 2, 43, it says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. 
And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They were meeting each other's needs. They were valuing people. They were loving each other. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness. They loved being around each other in sincerity of heart. It was authentic. Praising God, and here's the key. Because of that, they were having favor with all people. Church people? No, all people. And this is what revolutionized them. Why? Because they passionately loved each other and those around them. And they had favor uh, with, with congressmen and people in their community, their neighbors. People were like, oh, there's those Jesus followers. Man, look at the way they love one another. And they showed people ultimate worth. And the Lord, look at the end result, okay? Jesus' job. Look at what Jesus did. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why? Because the church was being the church. They were just calling themselves Christians. They were living it out. And people around them were dumbfounded. This grace is messy. It's radical. And it changed their known world and turned it upside down. And people were coming to know the Lord daily. What else can we learn from this story? This is going to lead me to my last point. Point number three is that Jesus honors compassion. And if he honors that, we need to be the most compassionate people. Matthew 9, I'm going I'm to read a few verses to you guys just to show his compassion. It says, um, there was a time that the religious leaders, they were doing all the right things, and they were sacrificing, thinking they were doing an honor to God. And Jesus goes, <clears throat> go learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You could do your church thing, but I want you to be compassionate towards people. For I did not come to call the righteous. Stop trying to keep the church clean. I came to call sinners. Like myself. I came to give people hope. Why? Because compassion is the essence of who God is, and Jesus came to show us who God was. Psalm 103.11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear his name. As far as the east is from the west, so far, uh, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. And we are forgiven by his compassion because of his compassion. It says, Psalm 51, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. David was like, forgive me of my sin according to your compassion, Jesus, or Lord. I want to see that compassion. I need your compassion because I know myself and I need to be forgiven. Compassion was what made Jesus the friend of sinners. And I don't know if you've caught on to what I'm trying to say tonight. We need to be compassionate towards people. When was the last time you cried for those that didn't know the Lord? Yeah. When was the last time your heart was moved to, tear because, to tears because you believed people were going to hell? Some of us might not even believe that to be true, unfortunately. Um, and I'm, this isn't a guilt thing. I really want us to wrestle with this in our own heart because people need the Lord. More than ever in human history, people need the Lord right now. 
I want to end with this passage here. I know that uh, all of us, we should have a heart for the lost, okay? You guys have heard this before. For the Christ follower, if you're brand new to all this, just lean in, just, uh, just hang out for a little bit and just, just listen because uh, this truth is so profound. Um, you guys are all gonna agree with this. Ephesians 2.8, uh, you shared this earlier, Sarah. I love it and I didn't know, I mean, you didn't even know I was sharing on this. Ephesians 2.8, it says, for, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. In other words, that you and I were saved by a gift from God. It says, um, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He did that. He did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. This whole salvation thing, some people get, uh, they get confused. They're like, okay, if, if I'm saved by grace, does that mean that I don't have any works? If I'm not saved by anything that I do that Jesus did that, then that means I'm cool, right? No, because it should be so compelling that Jesus gave you something that we couldn't do for ourselves, that we should respond with works, that we should respond uh, uh, with obedience, that there should be a response on our end. It's the transformative power of grace that should lead us to be compassionate because we realize how much we've been forgiven, we could forgive others and show people worth and value. Not a result of work so that no one will boast, for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. God didn't make a mistake when he made us. He didn't make a mistake when he created us. We were created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Saved by grace through faith for what? For good works. The response should be that there should be evidence in my life that I've been saved by grace. And if I am saved for good works, here's where I'm going with this church. Where are they? Is there evidence of progress in your life? Because it's not about perfection. It is about progression. Do you still have the same struggles that you did five years ago? For those of you that you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it's been three years, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a struggle. Is it? I'm just saying. Is, is it a struggle? Or is it, oh, this is a lifestyle. That's not a struggle. You were raised in the church, and you're like, yeah, me and God are fine. No, you're not. Yes, we're saved by grace, but where's the honor to the Father? I'm just saying. It should be so compelling that there should be progress. I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not who I need to be. My struggles, my struggles are different today than they were yesterday. But I'm compelled by the love of Christ to honor the Father. And when I fall short, my first response is to come to him. Why? Because, yes, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Yes, there is grace. But when we fall into the mindset of, no, this is me and God are fine, that's, that's called cheap grace. And this is, maybe, maybe for, for some of us, it's not sleeping with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Maybe it's anger issues or addiction or self-control or patience. I don't know. But is there progress? We only have one life. Make it matter. Jesus wants you to walk in freedom. He has an abundant life for us, a rich and a satisfying life, but we forfeit it for a counterfeit. And we operate on cheap grace. 
but we need to come to the end of ourselves and realize that he is worthy of honor. Our affection for him should be greater than our affection for anything else. And people need to see this evidence in our life. I want you to make a, Christian, let me talk to you tonight. I want you to make a decision that enough is enough tonight. That you will no longer be lukewarm any longer. That you would say, I'm going to live to honor the Father. I'm going to walk in grace, and that radical grace is going to transform me. I'm not where I need to be, but I need to stop playing church, and I need to start being the church. Because the message of Jesus is so transformative, it's so compelling. Has it changed you, church? Have you experienced his transformative love? Because he loves you, and he gave everything for you that you would stand in a right relationship with him. But we try to fake it to make it. And Jesus said, that's not the life I want you to live. That's the life people are seeing and they think that that's Christianity. That's not Christianity. And if we're going to ever make a difference in our world, it needs to start with us where we are people of conviction. Nowhere am I, am I trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to bring the hammer down. I'm just trying to say, church, we need to wake up. Make up your mind tonight that you would be a person of conviction and that you would ask God to bring people into your life, one life at a time that you could show extreme value and worth to because of what Jesus has already done to you. By this, this world will be changed if we get this right, church. I don't know where you find yourself in your faith tonight. I I don't know if you've ever met Jesus. Maybe you've been doing the church thing for a while, but never really crossed the line and said, I'm all in. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond and say, no more. I'm giving my life to Jesus. Maybe this is your first time at church and you've never set foot into a relationship with Christ. I want you to know something. God desires relationship with you. He loves you. The Bible tells us that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It means that we're living life one way, and because of his kindness, it's so compelling that we want to make a shift and start living for him. And he's inviting every single person that would respond in faith. And if that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're in here tonight and you've never been baptized by your own choice because you chose to do that. That's your next step tonight. But what I'd like to do I'd like to take a moment and really just get honest before the Father. Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? If you don't, you can start tonight. And if you need to come back to him, tonight's for you. So let me go to God in prayer. And I'll give you a moment to respond. Father, I love you. And I thank you, God, that you're a compassionate father who loves us and gave it all so that we would be in a right relationship with you. God, I know that there are people in here that are hurting. I know that there are people in here that are walking in shame and guilt for the decisions that they've made in their life. And some of the people in here have felt like this woman, excluded from community, excluded from a relationship with you. But I pray tonight that you would allow them to center compassion. 
that you want to draw them to yourself. Father, for the person in here that had given their life to you at some point, but they aren't really living for you. They're just doing the church thing, God. I pray that tonight, Father, you would make yourself known in their hearts and in their lives. I'm going to give you this time to just really get honest before the Lord for a second. Have you met him, church? Do you know him? He wants to heal your hurt. He wants to make you new. He wants to give you life. He wants to erase your shame and your guilt. And he wants you to walk in freedom. Tonight, if you're in here and you're a Christ follower, do me a favor and pray for those around you. But if you don't know Jesus or if you want to come back to him or be baptized, I want to pray with you, but I want to know who's praying with me. Do me a favor and just raise your hand right where you're at. If you're giving your life to Christ or if you're coming back to him, just raise your hand right where you're at. Praise God for you and for you and for you. I'm going to give it a few seconds. Praise God for you in the back. A few more seconds. If Jesus has touched your life, if you want to come to him for the first time or come back to him, right where you're at, just raise your hand up in the sky so that I know that it's you. All right, church, there's quite a few hands that were raised. Uh, do me a favor. We're going to lead them through a time of prayer so that they know that they're not alone. Repeat these words. Say, Father God, I know that you love me. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to forgive me of all of my sin, and to heal me of all of my hurt. Right now, I say yes to you. I ask that you'd fill me with your love, and that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life, and I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let's praise God for all the decisions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram at CrossroadsCYA.